Workers, thank you for your giving tonight. Much appreciated. Last night we had a fantastic time. Uh, I mean, if you ever failed, and we all have, last night was such an encouraging sermon that God can get you out of that failure and give you victory. Amen. And, you know, Pastor Marvin's been a friend of mine for many, many years. Again, we served in the ministry uh, together for years and able to be a part of him, his children's lives. Amen. Seen them raised and uh, so we got a lot of good memories, but he's a great minister, preached around the world, conferences as well. So let's give him a hand tonight as he comes and ministers. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. If you have your Bibles, Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37. I just want to verify with the sound people. You got that last picture I sent. Thank you. I saw the thumbs up. Just want to verify. That's not going to be part of the sermon, but I need you to hold that, uh, that picture. It's probably going to be the first one you put up, though. Uh, I mean, a lot of years, a lot, a lot of memories. I could stand here tonight and talk for the next three services just about uh, Pastor Mitchell and the influence and the, the influence over my life, my wife's life, my children's life. Uh, the first time I went overseas with another pastor, it was with Pastor Mitchell. It, it was with him. Uh, you know, we had had, you know, several pastors before that time, and every time they go overseas, they'd leave Martin behind. I appreciate staying behind and being in charge, but sometimes you want to go. Sometimes you want to go, and pastor said, I'm going to uh, South America. I'm going to Venezuela. I want you to go with me. I was like, yes, yes, and he went to uh, Caracas, and I went to uh, Maracaibo, and uh, that started something in me for world evangelism that still burns hot to this day, that it, that it still burns it still burns hot to this day. Uh, we went to Israel together. He shared a room in Israel uh, there together. He borrowed my razor. Amen. Yeah, uh-huh. He gave it back to me dirty. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I didn't say nothing. I didn't say nothing. I still got one hand shorter than the other. Don't know, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay. And so I, I appreciate I appreciate uh, Pastor Mitchell. One of the things that uh, I try to do is, is get the mind of God. I try to get the mind of God. And I got to hand this microphone back over by 8.30. And so, so that's good news for y'all, huh? <laughs> that, 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 that's, 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 that's good news for y'all. But I try to get the mind of God. And I want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for your love offering. Thank you for your, your generosity. Uh, I thank you. My wife thanks you. Uh, we would appreciate your, your giving. Cause I know you guys are, you know, workers, you know, some, some the first and the 15, some Walmart or what have you, you know, HEB. I don't know if y'all got that out here. Uh, and I know you work hard for your money and that you would share it with us and give to us. It is greatly, it is greatly appreciated. As a matter of fact, in honor of y'all, I will put cheese on the next burger that I get. <laughs> and so <laughs> add cheese to it. <laughs> and so I just want to, uh, I just want to, I just want to thank you. Uh, the message tonight is hear the word of the Lord. Out of Ezekiel 37, we're going to read verse, uh, verse, verse 1 through 10. I was, uh, one of the things I endeavor to do as a minister uh, is have, have the mind of God for what I do. Because I realize people's lives are at stake. And, uh, and, and people are sheep. And I never want to have the wrong mind or my own mind and it wasn't God. I, and so I, I'm slow to move in certain areas because I, I, really, want to, I really want to have, have the mind of God. 
And so one of the things that I, I like to do is tell people what God is dealing with me about. And one, it'll help them order their steps and order their life. One of the things God was speaking to me about you two here is where you're going to end up is not where you start. You might not end up where you started. I know how we graze and grow and groom, but where you're going to end up is where it's not where you're going to start, where you started. It's important right here that you keep your heart right with God, that you keep your heart right with God and your relationship right with your pastor. Because God's got other plans separate from you, from the other everybody else. You know, the problem with us is, is John 21, 21. What is John 21, 21? John 21, 21, and Jesus telling Peter what he wants for his life. Peter said, what about these guys? Jesus, Jesus said, don't worry about them guys. I got a different plan for you. And God's got a, God's got a different plan for you. And where you're going to end up is not where you began, but it will be in the will of God, with the hand of God and the purposes of God. Just stay humble and flexible, and the key word is moldable. Because God's got great things for your life, and God's going to use you guys. God's going to use you guys to do great things. Where, you, where you're going to end up is not where you began. Just stay humble before the Lord and watch what God does. Amen. Watch what God does in your life. In 1987, there was a, there was a young black couple uh, that came into the uh, Colleen Church. This is that couple right here. If you can put that picture up. <laughs> <laughs> this is that couple to the left that is that is myself and that is that is that is my wife the problem with myself and my wife is my wife didn't really have a religious background she went to an ame church how many know what ame is african methodist episcopal i call them black catholics you know what i'm saying <laughs> but the problem was really with that guy right there because that guy came out of church of god in christ I mean, ever heard of Church of God in Christ? I mean, you stay in church all day. I mean, women can't wear pants. I mean, I mean, know what I'm saying? I know it changed now, but I'm going way back to when. I mean, you run around the church, you shout, you have a good time, you know, you drink. If you smell like liquor, you're going to hell. You know what I'm saying? It was, <laughs> and God had to do a lot of breaking in that guy. Are you with me? But when that guy up there, I can't recognize him, but when that. <laughs> When that guy up there allowed God to break him, shape him, and remold him, I might preach a sermon called Ken, Kensugi. I'm going to heard of Kensugi. I might preach a sermon called Ken, Kensugi. When that guy allowed God to put him back together, your pastor had a great part to play in that influence. When that guy allowed God to put him together, his feet touched more foreign shores, more states in the United States than the military than when I was in the army, than any, than any other time, because he just allowed God to break him and make him. There's going to come a breaking. It's not to hurt you. It's not to destroy you. It's to make you. It's to mold you. It's not because he's mad or mean. or And the problem with making and breaking is God uses people to do it. You understand what I'm saying? God uses people. I had to hold my son in a surgery one time. I had to, I had to hold my son while they get the IV in his head. He was too small. My oldest son, Kevin, he was too small, so I had to put, and they say, Dad, I need you to hold him while we stick this IV in his head. 
my son is looking at me like, what are you doing? Are you my dad? You're not my dad. You don't even look like me. What are you doing? Stop it. Stop it. You know, it's stop. He's screaming bloody murder. But I had to hold him. And that's a distant memory now. But don't take the chastening of the Lord, the making and the breaking, because God's going to make you better and more equipped to be used for his glory. You know, y'all understand what I'm saying? That God's got great things for you, great plans, but there had to be a making and a breaking. And then you enter in all that, all, that God, all that God has for you. Don't despise the breaking. Don't despise the chastening. You know, uh, Pastor Brooks, you might not know this, but you're one of my favorite. I know what you're thinking. I'm over here. See, y'all talking about my eye again, ain't you? <laughs> you know, y'all talking. <laughs> Pastor Brooks, you're one of my favorite. As a matter of fact, I went to watch you online when you was in Chesapeake just now. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, man, I want to see what this guy's doing, model and mold after this. This guy's, this guy's actually, well, he came to preach for us in, uh, in, uh, in Killeen. You could have helped me out there, brother. But he, he, he came and preached for us in Killeen. And uh, just a powerful message. I'm like, man, this guy's pretty good. This guy's pretty good. One of the things God wants, to t wants you to hear, wants me to tell you, is this. In... in I, I believe, don't hold me to this, but I believe it's in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 20 where he said he gave gifts to men. Now, when it says he gave gifts to men, it really means he gave gifts to his people. And what that really means is he gave gifts to the church. Now, I might not be allowed to preach into this, in this fellowship after I make this statement. I might get kicked out before I get back to Texas. Okay, but understand what I'm saying. So I'm going to say it real fast before Pastor Mitchell call. <laughs> One of the gifts God gave to our fellowship is the black evangelist. Amen. This is one of the gifts that God Amen. gave. They won't say this. They won't tell you this, but I'm here to tell you. One of the gifts God gave to this fellowship is the black evangelist. God wants you to be you and every expression of God that he put in you. He wants you to let it go forth. Don't fear their faces and worry about the response and, and, you know, numbers, nickels and noise. You keep doing what you do because you are a gift to every church you go to. You are a gift to every assembly you preach at. You are a gift to every time you say, if you have your Bibles, you're giving them the gift that God gave them. You are already a success by getting there, by being there, by opening. You are a gift to them, and God's going to use that gift in a greater dimension because the Bible goes also to say a man's gifts. Somebody said it. Say it loud. A man's gifts make room for him. You know, in, in the black church, we let y'all finish what we were saying. You know what I'm saying? So y'all should have finished. Y'all should have finished that statement. When I, when I say a man's gifts, God, dog. So <laughs> it makes room for him. So don't think you ain't got the goods. And don't think you ain't, you know, Alvin or Marty or Marvin. You know what I'm saying? Don't think. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, because you're God's gift. And that gift going to make room for you in this, in this fellowship. You keep passing that gift around. You keep spreading that gift around. You keep letting God use you and watch what God does. Man, I'm, I'm cutting down in my sermon time. I'm cutting down in my sermon time. That young man right there in the red. Yeah, the one leaning down with his hand on his nose. How old are you? 18. Well, you come up here where I'm at then. You come up here. 
But in my day, the grown-ups didn't run after the kids. You told the kids to come here. You know what I'm saying? Come, come here. That's the fastest you can move? Man, you trying to get fired? Golly. When I was up there on the platform, I'm sorry, are you tired? Are you, come here, come here, come here, young man. I didn't know you was tired. Uh, you want to you rest on my shoulder? <laughs> God called you to be different. God chose you to be different. I, don't, I, don't, I didn't make you like nobody else because I don't want you to be like nobody else. I want you to be who I called you to be, who I chose you to be. And so stop looking for acceptance from other places and other people. You're different. We, we, all, we all are a peculiar people. God made us different. We're not trying to be like the world and fit in like the world. Because God's got a special plan for you. God's got a special purpose for you. So God wants you to stand in your differentness, your uniqueness, and, and don't try to fit in with everybody else. Just let God use you the way you are. Keep your eyes on the real prize. The real prize ain't L.A. and New York and Snoop Dogg and, and, and Steel Dre. The real, the real prize is the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's the real prize. You know what I'm saying? You know, Snoop Dogg wish he was me. He wish he was me. He wish he had what I, he wish he didn't have all that. Listen to some of his interviews. You know what I'm saying? He wish he, he, wish he was me. So let God use you because God's got a special plan for you. Don't try to fit in with everybody else. You be who God called you to be and watch what God's going to do for you. Now, there's one more thing I need to tell you. God's going to bring what you need when you need it. Don't rush it. Amen. You understand what I'm saying? Thank you for letting me. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray your anointing upon this young man. God, that you would move by the Holy Ghost, Lord God. Use him for your glory, Lord God. God, to change lives and lands and nations and tongues, God. I pray, God, move by the Holy Ghost. A special anointing upon him. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. for. Let me pray for you. Thank you. <clears throat> At the end of the service, we're going to be praying for some more people, and we're also going to be praying for people to get filled with the Holy Ghost. Now I can start my sermon. <clears throat> I come from a place called Pompano Beach, Florida. I was actually born in Fort Lauderdale, right where they got all the rain and the floods and stuff going on right now. I was born in Fort Lauderdale. I was raised just to the north of that, in a, a, place called, a place called Pompano Beach, Florida. Back when I was growing up, everybody had a big family. My family is no different. We had a, we had a huge family. This is, this is my family. These are my, my brothers and my sisters, and that's my dad. They're in the middle between the two with the blue shirt and the blue tie. That's my dad. Uh, my dad is still alive. My dad is around 94, 95. We don't know exactly how old he is because he wasn't born in a hospital. He was born at home. There was no papers. There was no certificate of live birth. So uh, the doctors say he's around, you know, 94, 95. And, but, you know, that don't bother us. He don't need a birth certificate. We know he here. You know, he, 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 he right there. When we grew up, we had a three-bedroom house, one bedroom for all the boys, one bedroom for all the girls, and one bedroom for mom and daddy. You know, they got to keep the factory open, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and one, bedroom, one bedroom for mom and dad. You know, 
A lot of people complain that they don't have their own room. Listen, we didn't have our own bed growing up. We always slept with another brother. I know that don't sound good. But, <laughs> but we always, when I was the younger brother, I slept with the older brothers. When I, came, when I became the older brother, the younger brother slept with me. Nobody had a bed to themselves. Everybody had to share. Everybody had to share a bed. Now, that's really not a problem until you get a brother that peed a bed. <laughs> you know, and, and, what, what, and, and what the problem really is, when he peed a bed, okay, you probably not want to put this, save, you got to save this sermon tonight, okay? <laughs> the problem with it is when he peed a bed is trying to convince him that it was him, you know? <laughs> he can hear his little squeaky voice, uh-uh, that wasn't me, yes it was, you. <laughs> And we grew up in a time where we didn't have dryers. Nobody had a dryer. You hang clothes on the clothesline. Can anybody relate? You had to go out back and hang. And if you did have a washer, you thank the good Lord, and then you had to go hang the clothes out on the line. Don't matter if you're a boy or a girl, you had to go hang the clothes out, hang the clothes out on the line. And the problem with the mattress that now somebody got to go stand the mattress up outside, and now the whole neighborhood know that somebody in that house Peter bed. But you don't feel bad about it because there's a lot of other mattresses outside too. You know, because you got you got to air it out and hope it dry out before you before it's time before it's time to go to bed the next night. But the reason why I want to show you that picture there is not because of the guy on the left hand side, probably the best looking of them all there. Uh, did y'all did y'all know that was me? Y'all knew it was me. So y'all knew, y'all knew it was a good-looking guy, huh? <laughs> it's not because of the guy on the left-hand side there, but the reason why I show you that picture, those were 11 kids plus my dad was 12. My mom is not there. My mom is deceased at the time of this, of this photo. As a matter of fact, that picture was taken at another, at another funeral. Uh, you know, they say death comes in twos and threes. Well, my mom died, and my sister on the, on the uh, not yet, not yet, my mom died, and my sister on the bottom right hand, uh, bottom right hand corner, her husband died. Uh, as a matter of fact, he had just retired from the Jacksonville. He was a Jacksonville deputy sheriff in Jacksonville, uh, Florida. Uh, she had just retired a year before as a correction officer, and he he had just retired, and then he died three months after he retired. He died, and that funeral, uh, that picture is actually taken at my brother-in-law's funeral. My sister's. Ex-husband, my sister's husband, funeral. Uh, right there, we got all, you know how you, you get, to, get to a time in your life that the only time you get together is at funerals. And so that picture is actually taken there. But the reason why I show you that picture is because of those 11 children that you see up there, nine of them, okay, not, not in our fellowship, but nine of them are pastors, pastors' wives, evangelists, or missionaries, or elder. Of those 11, nine of them, the only two or not, is my brother Al, who's right next to me in the white shirt, and then my brother Junior, who's directly behind my dad in the other blue shirt standing up. The only two. The rest of them are pastors, pastors' wives, 
evangelists, missionaries, or elders. As a matter of fact, my sister who's below me, that's my next youngest sister, she's the next sibling younger than me, in a white dress on the left-hand side. Her and her husband, they pastored down there called Cornerstone Mission Church of God in Christ, and they just bought, they just bought their church building uh, for $300,000. Okay, <clears throat> okay, now I'm, I may preach about finances and money, because when I say they bought their church building, you think, okay, okay they went to the mortgage and got a, went to the bank, got a mortgage, took out a loan. They said, no, they bought it. They took the money out of their savings account. <clears throat> yes, they took $300,000 out their savings account. They took $300,000 out their savings account and bought the building. You know, you got to get the inspections and all that other stuff. But they took $300,000 out their savings account and bought the building. And it didn't even deplete. Didn't even deplete the savings account. I, I, <laughs> I give a clap for that too, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Didn't even deplete the savings account. She got a BMW. She had a BMW. She traded in now. I think she got a Palisade now. Uh, she got a BMW. On the front of the BMW, her license plate, the tag, says tithes and offering. Wow. Tithes and offering. Of those 11, nine are pastors, pastors' wives, missionaries, or evangelists. You say, how can this be? Well, the reason why you have all those pastors and preachers and evangelists and missionaries and pastors' wives is because of this woman right here. That woman right there is, was, or still is, how you want to say it, that, that's my mom. Uh, that's my mom. This is a different type of woman. And, and listen, well, my mom was a woman of God. I know everybody say their mom was a woman of God, even if she was a town drunk, you know what I'm saying? My, my mom loved the Lord. You know she loved Jesus. <laughs> and, and so, but, but, but my mom really loved the Lord. Okay, every morning, we had morning prayer in our house. And so when I came into a fellowship that had morning prayer, it was just second nature. We was already having morning prayer before we get to school. All 11 of us had to go in the living room and get on our knees and pray. And we just couldn't recite the Lord's Prayer and just say something. that, that No, we had to pray. We had Father in the name of Jesus. And we had to fool her, at least, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> that, we was, that we was really praying and really, really sincere. <laughs> and we'd be down to, oh, Jesus. <laughs> But we all had we all we had morning prayer every morning when we had our jobs. We worked for our dad. Our dad had a landscaping business. Grass grows year round in South Florida. We had a, we from 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 the first day of work. As soon as we got paid, my mom would be standing outside my dad's office as we walked out, and her hand would be out right here. We're like, Mom, what do you want? She said, I want the tithes and the offering. Give it to me right now. We're like, Mom, you don't trust us? Nope, I don't trust none of y'all. <laughs> And we had to give tithes and offerings. And so when I came into a fellowship that, that talked about tithes and offerings, it was just second nature. You know, it wasn't just, I don't know, 10%. That's kind of a lot. What are they doing all that money? I tithed $35. You know what? That's a lot of money. You know And so it was just second nature. When my mom died in 2004, right when I'm transitioning to take over the Temple Church, my mom passed. 
Uh, I, you remember that. Pastor called me and gave me some condolences about my mom passing. I remember that. And when my mom passed, at my mom's funeral, there are over 2,000 people. I ain't just making this up. I could call my sister right now. She said, yeah, it was thousands of people there. There are over 2,000 people at my mom's funeral. And she wasn't, she wasn't a you know, civil rights hero or, or somebody. No. My mom was just a woman who was concerned about the words that she speak, that she would always speak positive words. She would always speak the promises and the possibilities of God. She always had a kind word. Many of the people, you know, you have the wake because everybody can't speak at the funeral, so they have the wake the day before. And many of the people who got up to speak about my mom would talk about how her words saved their marriage. Her words and her prayers got them off of drugs, and, and her words kept them in school. They come from miles away to get the wisdom of my mom. When I say mile, they come from Belle Glade, Pahokee, you might not know these places, Miami, Palm Beach, Deerfield, Boca, Fort Miles, Tampa. They come from miles away to get the wisdom of my mom. As we work our way through this sermon, I want you to consider the words you speak. Because words of spirit and the words you speak can change everything. See, a lot of you waiting on God to change things. You waiting on God to move. And if you just change the words you speak, you'll see miracles begin to unfold. You see, listen, listen and I'm not going to belabor this point. Some of you are praying for your kids the wrong way. God touched them devils and demons. They rebellious. I know they do it. Change the words you speak to them. My dad was the disciplinarian, and I, I still support disciplining kids. Okay, whooping, whooping, y'all, whooping. Y'all understand? <laughs> whooping. <laughs> Just in case you wonder what I'm talking about, I'm talking about whooping, whooping. You know. <laughs> my dad was the disciplinarian, but nothing my dad ever put on me, and he put it on me often. Nothing my dad ever put on me hurt as bad as hearing my mom say, Marvin, you know better. God Almighty, Marvin, you know better. Because the reality was, I did know better. They hurt harder than anything. I want you to consider this sermon, hear the word of the Lord, and I want you to consider the words that you speak. Let's look at verse 1 of Ezekiel 37. The Bible says these words. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. Now, I want, to, I want you to understand what's actually going on here. Ezekiel is with his people. And he's there with his people and maybe they're talking and they're sitting down and, and discussing the day's events and what have you. He may even be working and uh, but in this illustration, he's sitting down there and he's talking with his people. And as he's talking, I'm so glad I ain't fall. <laughs> Lord Jesus, let me move this chair over. We're going to illustrate over here. <laughs> as, he, 
as he's talking, the hand of the Lord reaches down and takes his spirit out of his body. And his body is still there, and they still talking with Ezekiel, but his spirit comes out of his body, and God is taking his spirit somewhere else. So now let's read it again. Let's go back to the beginning of verse 1. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. He took that spirit and it sat me down in the midst of the valley. And it was full of bones. And then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, I don't know. <laughs> you God, what you asking me for? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> this, that's the basic translation of what he said. Oh, Lord God, thou knowest. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones. And say to these bones, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinew on you, and bring flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise and a suddenly a rattling. And the bones came together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also, he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came in them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. In the text, what we have is a teachable moment. That God is wanting to teach Ezekiel, God is wanting to teach you and I something. The first thing God wants to teach is that nothing is impossible with God. And we believe that there's nothing that's impossible with God. And we preach that there's nothing that's impossible with God. And we teach that there's nothing that's impossible with God until we get in an impossible situation. And then we no longer believe that there's nothing that's impossible with God. And we begin to change our theology. We begin to change the way we speak. And we begin to say things that God could do anything, but if he don't, then, you know, he's still God. You know, I'm still going to serve him. I'm not going to leave the faith. And what we're really saying is I'm not going to leave the church. <laughs> but when we get in an impossible situation, we change the way that we speak. But God wants you and I to understand that there is nothing that is impossible with God. See, in our text, 
Ezekiel is in bondage. They're in what is called the Babylonian captivity. There are two famous bondages in the Old Testament. One is the Egyptian captivity that lasted for over 400 years. And the second is the Babylonian captivity that lasted for 70 years. And you say, well, why did they go from Egyptian captivity into Babylonian captivity? Well, simple answer, because they didn't learn the first time. Just like you and I, while we find ourselves in bondage again, because we didn't learn the first time. Yeah, she said, why did you do that? That was dumb. I, didn't, I told you don't do that. Why did you do that? Well, I did it again. Well, that's why you're in bondage again. But there are other famous Bible characters in the same bondage that Ezekiel is in. He's not the only one there. Daniel is in captivity with him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is in captivity with him. Isaiah is in the same captivity. Jeremiah is in the same captivity. Though they are treating Jeremiah a little bit different, if you will, they're treating Jeremiah just a little bit better than they're treating the other captives. But he's in the same captivity. <clears throat> Many times we feel better about our bondage if we can find other people in bondage too. If we can point to two or three people who are doing just as bad, we feel better about our bondage. I ain't got no car, but Tommy and him ain't got no car either. You know, we may live in the ghetto, but it's three or four other families living in the ghetto with us. And we begin to feel better about our bondage. But the problem is, this is not God's plan. This is not God's design. The beauty about Ezekiel's bondage is this. That even though Ezekiel is in bondage, even though he's in captivity, the Bible says that the hand of the Lord came upon him. That there is something there that he still has a connection. He still has a relationship that God is still touching him. It is a fallacy to say that the reason why I'm not coming to church is because I'm going through some things, and, and when these things get squared away, then I come back out and I get on board. No, you can come to church while you're in bondage, and you can have the hand of the Lord on you while you're in bondage. You ain't got to wait till you get things together. Come out here with the rest of us, because we all in bondage. And God's hand is still upon Ezekiel. But the psalmist gives us a behind-the-look scene at what is really going on in bondage and, and why it necessitated a visit from the Most High God. And in Psalms 137, it, it shows a picture of what's going on with the people of God in bondage. And in Psalms 137 and 1, it says that by the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and we wept. This is what's really going on. It's like people who, who get out of jail. If you've been in jail, God bless you. We're glad you're here. Don't go back. <laughs> but when people in, come out of jail, they say, yeah, man, I was bad, man. I ran things, man. I had my boys. And, you know, man, we controlled the whole cell block. You know, you know they could, we took people commissary from You know, they, they always got all these stories. And the reality is you're probably doing half while you was in jail. <laughs> You know, oh, did I pull too hard? 
You pro- <laughs> we don't know. We wasn't there. We don't know. <laughs> you know, you see the tattoo right there? Yeah, that means I was in charge. No, I think that probably means you was his wife. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, I think that- <laughs> Don't get mad at me and try to fight me in the parking lot. Don't get mad. <laughs> and so the psalmist gives a, a behind-the-scenes look at what's really going on in bondage. And they are sitting down by the river of Babylon weeping. Mind you that these are the people of God. They're not singing. They're weeping. They're not praising. They're weeping. They're not worshiping. They're we- By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and we well. Why are you weeping? Because how many know when you're in bondage, you don't feel like singing because you're in bondage. It's hard to come to church and clap your hands after you just had your car repossessed. How many know what I'm talking about? You get a pink slip, but they're going to cut the lights off, and it's hard to lift holy hands. You know, you can barely stretch one of them up halfway, and you're thinking, Lord, please, I don't feel like singing. And that seems like when the song, the song leader sang the longest, you know what I'm saying? Man, you're still singing. The brother just cool going. His waves are just all cool and everything. And, you know, he's just still going. And you're like, man, stop it, man. I don't feel like singing. You think the song from the end. You see, he over there doing like this. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord Jesus. <laughs> you don't feel like singing when you're in bondage. Why are they weeping? Because you don't feel like praising when you're in bondage. If you ever want to see some of the best praise, if you ever want to see some of the most spontaneous praise, if you ever want to see some of the most Holy Ghost praise, some of the most God-filled praise, watch people praise after they get paid. <laughs> It's a different kind of praise than when you're broke. I mean, you know what <laughs> You just got paid, and Lord knows if you got some overtime on that shit. Let's praise God. Hallelujah. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> when you're in bondage, you don't feel like giving because you're trying to hold every nickel back because you don't know what tomorrow holds. And the reality is you really don't know who holds tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? You're like, oh, man, you know. Things are tight. You know, I got this $20. It's going to last. It's got to last me for a long time. See, y'all look at $20 different than I look at $20. I look at $20. If I ain't got but $20 to last me to, to the next paycheck, that's all I got. I ain't going to sweat it every day. I'm going to go find me something, put bacon on it, put cheese on it. They say, you want to make that large? Yeah, make it large. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm going to at least enjoy the last supper, you know. (laughs) But you don't feel like giving when you're in bondage. You may be in bondage right now. God wants you to speak to some dry bones. God wants to breathe on some dry bones. But you first have to understand that there is nothing impossible with God. Which brings me to my second point. The words you speak. God told Ezekiel, prophesy to the bones. Now, wait a minute. This all sounds good until you understand that Ezekiel is a prophet. Ain't that what he's supposed to do? 
He's supposed to prophesy. But God has to tell the prophet to prophesy. Why? Because he's in bondage and now he's changing the way he's he's probably wondering I don't remember the last time I prophesied as a matter of fact if you go back and look at it he has to ask God again what do I say Ezekiel you're a prophet you know when the last time I used that gift you know when the last time I operated in that ministry prophesy what I don't know what I want you to prophesy to the situation. God, I can't even recognize the situation. Now we see why God had to take him out and bring him out and show him him. He said, look, Ezekiel, you got to get back to Speaking life, speaking hope. You got to get back to speaking to dead situations. You got to speak the things that are not, that are not as though they are. You have to get back to saying what God is saying. Too many times we as the people of God have gotten so far away from saying what God is saying that we don't know how to pray. No, we don't know how to inspire. We don't know how to give hope. We don't know how to speak faith. We have to go find somebody else. Hey, brother, so could you pray for them? Why don't you pray for them? Hey, brother, they need a word of encouragement. Why don't you encourage them? It's been a long time. I don't even know what to say. You have to get back to saying what God is saying. You're barren. What does God say about barrenness? Isaiah 54 and 1. Sing, O barren. You who have not born, break forth in the singing and cry aloud. You who have not labored with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman. What does God say? If you ain't got no kids and you want kids, he says, sing like you got them already. Start singing lullaby. If you got the song and you got the crib and you got the blanket, you keep singing and watch God bring the baby. God say, for you know it, that factory will be pumping out so many babies, you have more, more kids. <laughs> you <laughs> okay, after you got married. Okay, after you get married. <laughs> you need healing? The psalmist says in Psalms 30 and verse 2, I cried to the Lord and he healed me. Now people need healing and they just cry. He said, no, I ain't just crying, but I'm going to cry to the Lord. You've got to get back to prophesying supernatural things. Prophesy. He said, listen, prophesy to the breath. Speak to the wind. Can you imagine? Speak. He said, speak to the Have you ever went and spoke to the wind? We had, a, we had an outdoor event. And, you know, 
you got these outdoor events and you, you're praying that the weather is cooperative and we're in Temple and, and we got bands coming from out of town and outreach teams coming from out of town and, and you could tell the disciples that don't want to do it anyway. They say, Pastor, it's like it's going to rain. You know? <laughs> hey, look, look like rain, Pastor. You know? <laughs> if we cancel it now, you know, we could, we could beat the rain. You know? they, they say stuff like, it's a lot of equipment. You know? <laughs> we're going to do about the electronics, Pastor. They don't, they don't want to be there anyway. <laughs> They want to be there anyway. And, and I'm looking at the money and the investment and the people coming from out of town. And I'm getting so mad. And I see the clouds loom ominous and they're, and they're coming down and, and, and it's, it's getting ready. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm like, and I'm getting so mad. They say, Pastor, you just, you know, what, what you want to do? You, you just say the word, Pastor. What you want to do? And I got so mad at them and I got so mad at them clouds that I said, Rain, stop! We had that concert. And the moment the band starts singing, cars were pulling in the parking lot. I see people over here witnessing the people, people over there witnessing the people, people over there getting saved. We had like 20 names of converts, of people who converted, and, and it was a glorious concert. And then when the concert ended, we put all the equipment back up, and we put everything back, and everybody headed back to the church. And when the last car door closed, the rain started again. But you got to get mad and you got to begin to believe God and you got to begin to speak and you got to begin to prophesy. I prophesy over my wallet. I look at my wallet. You will be filled. It will be cold, hard cash. You know, they will overflow in abundance. But this might be funny, but I live in the overflow. And if my wallet ever get empty, I got to back up. My wife wallet. <laughs> see, look, see, look, look what happened. God says, God says, Ezekiel, you got to get back to prophesying. And Ezekiel said, what do I say? I want to show y'all this. Get ready to close this thing up. He said, what do I say? This is what you say. Say, old dry bones, hear the word. Say, old dry bones? Yeah. You say, old dry bones, hear the word. Ezekiel said, old dry bones, hear the word. Now listen, it was said twice. The first time God said it when he told him what to say. Ain't nothing happened when God said it. Are y'all listening to me? Ain't nothing happened when God said it. So it's not about what God says. It's about what do you say? What do you say? What do you say to the supernatural? What do you say to the healing? What do you say to the miracle? We know what God says. It's written down what God says. But what do you say? And then when Ezekiel said, oh, dry bones, hear the word, the Bible says, and suddenly there was a rattling. Nothing happened when God said it. But when Ezekiel activated his faith, when he started saying what God said, he said, suddenly there was a rattling. And the way I read it was that the toe bone connected to the foot bone and the foot bone connected to the leg bone and the leg bone connected to the back bone and the back bone connected to the head bone. And suddenly... And 
See, y'all don't, see, y'all don't, y'all don't understand. Y'all don't understand. Subtly. Because you got to understand, when Ezekiel got put in that valley, it wasn't a valley full of anatomically correct skeletons. Because you got to understand that the way coyotes work and wolves work and, and birds to prey and scavengers work, what they do is they'll take, they'll take a leg over here from the body and they go over here and devour it. They'll, 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 they'll take a, a, a head and, and, and the cranial area and they go over there and devour it. And God said, listen, I want you to speak to the four winds. And, and what God is saying, and the reason why we're having such a rattling, and the reason why there's so much noise is because when you start speaking what God is saying the supernatural get involved. God can cause people that move way over there to come back over here. God calls people who move way on the west coast to come back over here. Why? Because you start speaking what thus says the Lord and you command the four winds and now they got to come back together and join together and now they're standing on their feet. Not because of what God did but because of what you said. What do you say? I want to close. Because it's not enough just to hear rattling. And many people start or stop right there. It's not enough just to see them standing on their feet. And many stop right there. It's not enough just to see the sinew talking about the muscles and the skin covered him. And many stop right there. But you've got to prophesy and speak until the Spirit of God shows up. I'm talking about prophesying until the end. How many times have we said, hey, 40 people prayed on outreach and we stopped? 15 people got saved at the music scene and we stopped. Had a great time, eight visitors in the, and we stopped. You've got to keep prophesying until they are an exceeding great army standing on their feet replicating what's been done in them and now those that were once dead, now they are out there prophesying. You've got to prophesy until the end. I want to challenge you as we close. The same challenge that God is giving Ezekiel. God is saying, Ezekiel, I've seen you over there in Babylon. I've seen the other people of God over there in Babylon. You're not praising. You're not worshiping. You're not giving me any credit. But you're over there talking about nobody knows the trouble I've seen. And you're not believing me. And you guys are the army of dead bones. And you guys are in that valley. And you guys are becoming scattered. Now what I want you to see, Ezekiel, is because you change the words you speak, everything in the valley changed. Those that were dead are now alive. Ezekiel, bondage is just about over. And But the problem is the people of God's heart have not changed. And if you don't change, if you don't learn during the bondage, 
All you'll do is repeat it over again. And God is telling Ezekiel, now I'm getting ready to put you back. I'm getting ready to send you back. And when you get back, Ezekiel, change the way you speak. Change the way you talk. Stop all that negativity. Stop all that unbelief. Stop all that doubt. Change the way you speak. And it starts with you. Now you get on back. And God takes him in the spirit. And he deposits him. Spirit back into his. Deposit his spirits back into his body. And the people around him say, Ezekiel. Ezekiel. They say, what, what, what? Man, look like you was gone. What, what, what was you? What's, what's happening with you? Come on, man. We just talking about how bad we got it. We talk about how God forsaken us. Don't you agree, Ezekiel? I remember back in the back in the day. Always oh, have a time back in the day, but God, Ezekiel said, "I'm not talking like that no more." Huh? Don't talk to me about that negative stuff. I don't care what happened before I got here. God can do exceedingly and abundantly above all we ask or think. Oh, who you think you are now, Ezekiel? You think you better than us? Yeah. Matter of fact, I do. Sometimes you got to look them in the face and say, yeah, I think I'm better than you. And you got to stop all that negative. And you got to stop all that unbelief. And you got to get back to speaking what thus says the Lord. And you can see them now forming cliques. And now they're forming factions. And now they're getting mobs against Ezekiel and mobs against the pastor. But one by one and little by little, as Ezekiel began to change the way he speak, the people around them begin to change the way they speak. And the people around them begin to change the way they speak. And now everybody is believing God. And now God is opening the door and setting them free. You got to change the way you speak. Start prophesying what God says. It's easy to hang around the negativity. And we all know who they are. Don't look around. <laughs> it's easy to go with the negativity. But will you stand and speak what thus says the Lord? I'm going to tell you something about bondage. That get old real quick. That, that get old real quick. It's time to hear the word of the Lord and start speaking what thus says the Lord and watch God. Because listen, no matter what God has done thus far, you ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. I want you to bow your head. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And listen to me, it starts with you. It starts with you saying, no, Johnny, I'm not going to talk like that no more. I don't believe that's the correct view. I need God. I'm going to start speaking the promise and the possibilities of God. I'm not going to talk about them no more. Matter of fact, let's pray for them. At this altar call, can we commit to change the way we speak? Can we commit to speaking the promises and the possibilities of God? 
Can we ask God to forgive us of the negativity and unbelief we've been speaking? Because I want to tell you something. You want to know what kills converts? Negativity kills converts. You want to know why visitors don't come back? It's just to tell you, we love the church. We love the preacher. We love everything. But are you coming back? No. Just, I just felt something. That negativity kills. you imagine what would happen to Newport News? If every one of us left out of here speaking the promises and the possibilities of God. Can you imagine that? If every one of us left out of here. Actually, believing the words we sing and believing the word that we hear preach. We turn this place upside down. It'll be like the Wesleyan revival. It'll be like the Sparta fire, Sparta miracle, Sparta revival. It'll be like what's going on right now in the college campus. They're having service 24 hours a day. If we all left out here speaking the promises and the possibilities of God. I've just been fool enough over the last 36, 37 years. Just to, just to believe God. And speak the promises and the possibilities of God. I remember my mom and I'm a, we're going to pray after this. My mom said, Marvin, you could be anything you want to be. Talking to my wife yesterday, and I said, you know, I should be dead. If I stayed in South Florida, I probably would be dead. Get caught up in the drug scene, the crime scene. I told you, I got a sealed record. <laughs> Get caught up in all that stuff. But when that, when that young couple came into church that day, God got a hold of that young couple, and I began to speak the promise and the possibilities of God. It changed my life. Our heads about and eyes are closed, no one looking around. Maybe you're here, you're not saved, you're not right with God. There's sin in your life. God's not here to condemn you. He's here to forgive you. He's not here to point the finger at you. He's here to give you a hand up. And you say, Pastor Mitchell, Pastor Wells, I'm not right with God. Before you close the service, will you pray for me? If that's you, slip your hand up, put it right back down all across this place. God bless you here. I saw a hand here. I see a hand there. God bless you. God bless you, sir. God bless you, sir. God bless you. God bless you. God's going to help you. God's going to change your life tonight. There are others, maybe you're backslidden and you want to come back to G. You're tired of living a backslidden life. It's almost like you, like you got two personalities. You act a certain way in front of a church and act another way at at the house. You're tired of living a backslidden life. You're ready to come back to Jesus. Let us pray for you. Slip your hand up. Put it right back down. God bless you there. Who else? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Now I need to conduct some spiritual transactions. So church, bear with me. If you're sincere with God, when you raise your hand, and I believe you are, I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. I want you to get up out of your seat and meet me at the altar. We're going to pray. Somebody's going to pray. Sir, you'll come. Yes. Just come, sir, you come, ma'am. If I can get a few workers to help me. Yes, yes, come, come, young man, come. 
Somebody will help you with the baby. If somebody help, somebody help my brother with the baby, somebody help you. Somebody will help you. God bless you. Yes, sir. God bless you. Thank you for coming. God's going to touch you. God's going to change you. Be merciful to me, a sinner. If you would just give us a moment, church. Thank you, Diane. Thank you. Be merciful to me, a sinner. He's here to forgive. He's here to forgive. Church, can we commit to change the way we speak? Start speaking the promises and the possibilities of God. Let's all stand to our feet. I want to open these altars. God's dealing with your heart. Ask God to forgive.